All right, good morning. Glad you are here. I know we've made a lot of comments about the rain and everything. And actually, I got to tell you, I don't love coming in here when it's raining, but I kind of love being in here when it's raining. Got this metal roof, like you can hear the rain. It's very calming, very soothing. And so stay awake, but enjoy the sound, the pitter-patter of the rain on the roof. Um, For those of you that haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John, and I'm really glad that you're here with us. Um, Actually, uh, it's been We've been going through this series on Romans, and it's been very encouraging to me, and I hope it's been encouraging to you as well. And interestingly, this week, out of the blue, it was wild. I think it was on Wednesday. It was either Wednesday or Thursday. I can't quite remember. But um, I had three pastors that I know of other churches in different places that I've just met throughout the years. All of them messaged me on that day, the same day, and said, hey, God put you on our mind today, your church on my mind today, and I just wanted you to know that I was praying for you and wanted to see how it was going. Three of them, just totally out of the blue. And that happens sometimes, but only ever one here or there. So three on one day, I was like, something's going on. I don't know what went on that day, but something was going on that day. And so first and foremost, I want you to know that we've got pastors and churches all over the place that are praying for you and for us, and that's very encouraging, and we need that. Um, But when they asked, how are things going, I was so excited to answer them. (laughs) I really was. I don't know if you noticed, for those of you that have been around, maybe you've been around for this this year or for the past year or maybe even since the beginning of when we started, Um, but... I, our church has always been awesome, I I think. Well, I'm a little biased, but (laughs) I love our church family, and I love what we've become, and I love who we are and what we're doing, and it's a fantastic, just an honor to be a part of this group of people, and uh, so it's been really cool, Um, but I'll tell you that in the last, like, six weeks or so, it's like something has broken loose in you, Good, a good thing. Okay, not like a screw. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I don't know. And but but the last like six, I don't know, couple of months at church, I guess it just felt different to me. And even little things like in the service when we're you know I'm speaking, and all of a sudden like you're responding and saying things. And it used to just be Brenda, and it's not just Brenda anymore, which I think is. <laughs> Which I think is, here, here's what I love about that. Here's what I love about, and she set us an example, by the way, and I'm thankful for that, all right? Here's what I love about that is that the, 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 um, the restrictions that are holding you back or the discomfort or the self-consciousness or whatever it is that you're feeling is being lifted. So let that keep going, all right? Don't, don't be self-conscious. Don't worry about what anybody thinks about you, only if you're encouraging them. Be concerned about what they're thinking about you. It's awesome. It's really, really, it's really cool. And I, I was trying to put my finger on what, what might be creating that. What, what was the reason that that might be happening in our church? Because when I, when I wrote back to these other pastors, I was like, it is a special time to be a part of Carolina Family Church. It's a special time for me. I really feel like God is doing something really, really exciting and cool and something new and different. And, um, and so I was sharing that with them. And so here's my encouragement to you, because I was trying to put my finger on, what do we do? And the answer is the same thing we've always done. <laughs> we haven't done anything different, but I really think that as we've been learning through the book of Romans and we have been getting clarity on the gospel, what it is, what it means for us, what God's promises are, what our hope is and what's coming for us. And as we've gained clarity together, and this is what Paul was hoping for the church in Romans. As we gain clarity and as we gain unity and as we gain hope together, it's rising up. And I think that you, along with me, 
are learning how to give more and more and more of our life and heart over to Jesus. And that is transforming us into his image. So whatever you have been allowing him to do in you over the last few weeks, over the last four weeks, six weeks, couple of months, whatever it is, keep it going. Because not only is it going to change you into the image of Christ, but it is also going to encourage and continue to change this church together as we together as a group reflect Jesus more and more accurately and shine his glory. All right, this is the hope that we have. So keep it going. Keep it up. I'm going to keep it up because he's been doing stuff in me too. All right, so we're going to keep that up together. We're going to see this continue to roll. It's exciting. All right, we are basing this on the good news, the gospel. And Paul lays it out so clearly at the beginning of Romans when he says that we are separated from God, that we are sinful, and that separates us from God. And there's no amount of good work. There's no amount of self-effort. There's no amount of charity or, or good things you can do that would ever surpass or overcome that. That the only way to be justified before God is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for you and for me. And the only way to be justified is to trust in him for salvation. All right, it is salvation by faith, all right, or by grace through faith. I want to say that correctly. By grace, given by God as a gift through faith. We don't earn it. It's not by keeping a law or the Old Testament law or any kind of new law or any list of rules. It is simply by faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved, that we are justified. Okay, that's the way, that's the term, Paul. And we got to keep this clear. So for those of you that are just joining us, uh, one of the things you have to keep clear in the book of Romans is that when Paul is talking about being made right in front of God, all right, the term we use today is salvation, but the term he used is justified. And then he shifts. He says, now, having been justified by faith, okay, so now that that is a done, now that that is settled, now God wants to save us. And he starts using this word save which again is confusing for us because we use it a different way. But when he says save, what he's talking about is saving us from the wrath of God here and now, saving us from the sin of the world, transforming, it's changing us. And he says in chapter seven, you can't do that by the law either. So he tried and he failed miserably. And so that's, where, that's the famous passage where he's saying, uh, I know the good I ought to do, but I don't do it. I do the thing that I hate. Oh, what is wrong with me? Oh, wretched man. The problem is he's trying to be made right. He's trying to be saved. He's trying to be transformed by the law, and that won't work. And so then he turns the corner into chapter 8, and he says, no, it is by the Spirit. And he mentions the Spirit 20-plus times in chapter 8. First time he mentions it in any significant, or the first time he mentions him in any significant form in the entire book. In chapter 8, it's the big reveal. He says, no, this is how God is going to do it. God is going to save you out of this world by the Spirit, and you need to walk with the Spirit, and you need to embrace him and follow him. And then he goes into a section. We spent four weeks in it. And it's crazy to me. This is the section where I felt like things really started to change even with us and it was shocking because Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are about Israel specifically. They're not specifically about the church, us. And as we got into those chapters, I was like, oh, boy. I don't, like, I don't know if I were just picking verse, you know, verses to preach on. I don't know if I would do Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Maybe some verses out of there, but maybe not the whole thing. But because we're going through Romans, and this is the way we're doing it, you, you, are, you are, I hate to say it this way, but you are forced to deal with everything, okay? So you don't get to pick and choose. You got to deal with everything as you go along. And we hit Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 and talking about Israel, and I really felt a sense of change in the room in this church as we learned. I think we, we, we first of all, in a, in a lot of cases, learned about Israel, and that hadn't been given much thought before. But to know that God does, has not forsaken them, 
and that God's promises are true. And as we see how clear and how confident the promises are to Israel, we know that we can have confidence in the promise that he's made to us, that he will follow through on what he's doing with us as well. So he deals with that. And then last week in Romans chapter 12, he turns a corner and says, now what? This is what is. Now what? What is going to change in your life? How does the gospel transform me on Tuesday? What does it mean for me every single day? Knowing that I have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that he wants to save me out of this world, knowing that I can take his promises to the bank, now what? What do I do now? How do I walk? And he said, God wants to transform you by the renewing of your mind transfigure you. That's the word he uses. For those of you that weren't with us, maybe you missed last week. The word he uses there, transformed, is the same word that's used when it talks about the transfiguration of Jesus, where his glory literally is shown. And then the only other place it's used is in 2 Corinthians 4, maybe? 1 Corinthians 4? 318. 2 Corinthians 318? I was right the first time. I shouldn't have questioned myself. All right, 2 Corinthians 3. And Second uh, Corinthians 3, where Paul is talking about Moses when he comes down off of the mountain after getting the Ten Commandments and his face is shining like the sun because he's been in the presence of God and he has to put a veil over his face. And Paul says, now we, the veil has been removed in Christ. We now have access to God in his presence. And so we all with unveiled face are being transformed. We are being transfigured into the image of Christ. And so when he says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He is talking about us being transformed into the glory of Christ, shining the glory of Christ, showing the glory of Christ. What a great honor. And then he talks about how we use the gifts that God gives us in a humble way in order to serve, and we need to use those gifts fully. And so that's what he's doing. He's transforming us into into that glory. Now, that is a process, okay? That's a process. And one day it will be complete. One day that process will be complete. That process of us turning into the image of Jesus, reflecting him, we're never 100% there while we're here. We are on track, and we're trying to move up that scale as fast and as far as we possibly can. And that's what the Spirit is trying to do in our life, to transform us into the image of Jesus. Now, what does that look like? How do we know? How do we know if those things are happening in our life. In the passage that we're going to get into today, it's in uh, Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can start turning there, um, whether that's print or digital. We will have it on the screen, but it's a lot of scripture, so it's going to be a little hard to follow on the, on the screen, so I encourage you to bring a Bible with you. Um, Romans chapter 12, he is going to, um, this, is, this is going to come fast, okay? It's going to come fast. It's line after line after line after line after line after line. It's like one sentence, one sentence, one sentence, one sentence. So there's a lot packed in here. And we're going, to, we're going to move through it. But here's what I want to encourage you to be doing as we're reading this. We're going to read it as a whole. Then we'll come back and talk about some of the individual pieces. All right. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just open yourself up to this scripture right now. Open yourself up to these things that Paul is about to, to put out. Like markers of spiritual maturity, markers that you are being transformed into the image of Jesus. And consider this like a, uh, consider it a shots fired passage, okay? Like Paul is just pulling out arrows and fire, that was really bad, I'm not a, here we go. 
I'm, I'm not a hunter. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did like Boy Scouts as a kid. That's the, the closest I ever got. Um, but like he's pulling arrows out of the quiver and he's just going to fire them out into the room. And some of them will miss. You'll be like, yes, I can see that happening in my life. That's incredible. I can see how he's transforming or has transformed me in that area. Yes, that's there. And in other places, those arrows are going to nick us, all right? <laughs> and when they nick us, we're going to be like, ooh, I could probably do better there. Probably that's a place where, I, where he wants to do some work in my life. And then others are going to hit us center mass, Okay. And we may hear them. And this is what happened to me this week as I was reading and I was studying. Some of them missed, and I was like, I feel like we're, we're in good shape there. Other ones caught me in the arm, and other ones hit me square in the chest. And uh, so, so be making mental notes as we go through this. And if you're, in a, if you, if you're a note taker, maybe even write them down or circle them in your Bible or, or whatever. Um, and if you're in a group and you're going to be meeting in a group this week, this is one of the questions. So be ready for that when you get to group. Um, which one of these things stood out to you the most and why? So be thinking about it in your own, your own self, your own walk with Jesus. Um, so let's, uh, let's fire some arrows. All right, Romans chapter 12, we're starting in verse 9. And again, I'm just going to read all the way to the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right. Arrows fired. Now, let's go through them. Let's talk through them. Make sure we understand exactly what all of these things are. And I want to, um, I have been reflecting, and I want you to be reflecting with me on our own lives and our own walk with Jesus to see where we stand on these things. Did these, would this list describe you? That's the question. All right, so the first thing he says is let love be without hypocrisy. Now, usually when we hear the word hypocrisy, I, my mind, at least scripturally, jumps right to the Pharisees because Jesus consistently said multiple times, like in Matthew chapter um, uh, 20, I'm going to get this one wrong, 24, I think. Um, he, he uh, It's the woes to the Pharisees, okay? And he says, woe to you Pharisees. And he calls them hypocrites over and over and over and over again. And their hypocrisy was that they were acting loving or they were acting religious, but what was inside was not, was not good. The outside of the vessel was clean, but the inside was dirty. 
Now, the hypocrisy that Paul is talking about here is the opposite of that, but it's hypocrisy nonetheless. It's when the inside is good, but the outside is not showing it. So he's saying, if you truly love, if you're looking at the gospel and you're understanding what God has done in you and who he's transforming you into, then your actions, your relationships, your interactions should be consistent with what's going on in your heart. Let love be without hypocrisy. Um, the, the interesting, we've, we've talked about this multiple times in the series, but this is originally written Greek. Greek is a language where the words have more depth to them than English words do. And that's the way I would describe it. There's more nuance to the words in Greek, and they paint a picture more than words in English do. And so this word paints a picture of playing the part. So if you have believed in the good news then play the part. That's, that's, the, the, that's the way we would carry this out. And it's, kinda, it's consistent with the T-shirts that we gave away uh, the last couple of weeks. And if, can I just say, throw the T-shirt thing out? Do we have enough? Do we have them out? Yeah, yeah. If you want a T-shirt, get one. Um, they're the green ones. If you see someone with a, with a green T-shirt, I just didn't want to make sure we actually had them. I didn't want to say, get a T-shirt, and then you go out and you're like, where's my T-shirt? Um, so, yeah, they, they say the shirts that were, that were given away, it's just a gift to you, um, says, I'm a good news person, all right? So just wear it on your chest, you know? If you're a good news person, play the part and let it be seen. Um, Let it be seen. What good is love if it isn't shown, right? What good is love if it isn't shown? I mean, you can tell me you love me all day long, but if you see a great dad joke meme and you don't send it to me, like, I don't know. How do I know if you love me, <laughs> okay? <laughs> you have to, if you love someone, show it, right? If you want them to believe it, see it, you got to show it. So let love be without hypocrisy. He says, abhor evil, cling to what is good. Now, I think this is one of the misnomers about love. People often think that in order to be loving, you have to back down on the truth. And that is not true at all. It's not true at all. When John, who's Jesus' best friend, describes him in his gospel in the first chapter, he says that Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, was full of grace and truth. Not 50% of each, full measure of both. He was fully gracious and fully truthful. Now, we really struggle with that as human beings. We tend towards one of those sides. We, we have a tendency towards uh, grace, in which case sometimes we back down from what is true, and we enable things or we allow things or we let things slip or we allow people that we love to continue in sin, and that's not good. Or sometimes we, we lean towards the truth side and not the grace side, and we end up being judgmental or self-righteous or whatever. We end up just convicting people of things and calling things out without being loving. And what we need to aspire to is Jesus, a full measure of both grace and truth. And there is a way to be honest with the people that we, we love and to not only communicate it in love, for it, be, for it to be received in love. All right, but that is, like, that is like double black diamond Christianity, by the way. Like this very difficult balance to strike. It's, 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 it's black belt ninja Christianity to be able to fully balance and not balance, but have a full measure of both truth and grace in our life. But if you love people, you will share that with them because you want them to uh, have a life that honors God. He said, abhor evil, hate evil, all right? Reject evil, be disgusted by, repulsed by evil, is what that means. And cling to what is good. 
And this is a really cool Greek word. It literally, again, the word picture thing, it literally means to glue yourself to something. Why did the Greeks have a word for gluing yourself to something? I didn't want to Google it, so I don't know. But they did, okay? You literally glue yourself or adhere yourself or bond yourself fully to infuse yourself into good where you cannot be extracted from good anymore. That's the kind of bond he's talking about. And that should be happening in our life, all right? He says, be kindly affectionate in brotherly love. This is the kind of love that a parent would have for a child or a husband would have for a wife, and that's not not the other kind of love, but the affectionate, caring, preferential love that we would have for someone else. And I do that this is a good time to point out that even though you can take these principles, the relational ones here, and you can apply them to our relationships with all kinds of people, specifically, I believe he's talking about within our faith family, with other believers. He says brethren. He says other words like that throughout here that make you think that what he's talking about is their relationships with each other. And so think about that, not only believers here in this church, but also in your life or your family, okay? Uh, He says, be kindly affectionate and brotherly love. He says, in honor, giving preference, right? So to honor someone else, and, and actually, again, this is kind of a backwards idea in Greek, but um, to honor someone by going before, by preceding them, um, which would have been, so this is, the, this is the picture to me. It's when somebody comes over to your house and you want, them to, you want them to feel important, you want them to feel valuable, and so the first thing you do is go in front of them and prepare everything for them, and, and you, you show them where everything is, and you say, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. Let me show you where the bathroom is, and let me show you where the kitchen is, and here's the couch, and, and you're fluffing the pillows, and you know, you're going before because you prefer them and you want them to be honored. That's what he's talking about here. Looking at each other in that way to honor each other by giving preference. Not lagging in diligence or effort or work uh, ethic, but being diligent, not lazy. Fervent in spirit or being uh, uh, having urgency. All right, fervent is urgent, uh, having urgency to grow, having urgency. We might use the word hunger around here, being hungry to grow, hungry to serve, hungry to love. He says serving the Lord. So don't sit back, but have urgency and enthusiasm in serving God. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Rejoicing in hope. This is, this is having our mind on what's our heart, our hope on what's coming, right? On the, the joy that is coming, eternal life that is coming. Even though we have eternal life now, what is coming for us in the future, being patient in tribulation when we're being attacked, when we're being assaulted. He's going to spend a little bit more time on that later. <laughs> All right. Being patient in tribulation, enduring, that's the word there, enduring tribulation and trial, continuing steadfastly in prayer, so praying relentlessly. So that prayer, and this is, this is important in the life of a believer. There are moments of prayer. There are times where we say, dear God or Heavenly Father, and we finish with amen. But prayer is more than that. Prayer is an ongoing conversation with God throughout the day. And then we have those moments where we focus in and we speak to him directly um, in that more sort of formal, organized way. He says, distributing to the saints, to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. And again, the word he uses here I think is interesting. Um, The word for distributing is a variant of the word koinos. 
And the word koinos is the root of the word koinonia, which means fellowship. So when he, that's, that's the root, that's the idea. So when he says distributing to the needs of the saints, he's talking about sharing or, or um, partnering with each other, fellowshipping with each other. That when, we, that when we give to each other, whatever that looks like, whenever we're generous with each other, it is for each other's benefit. It's for the good of the whole. It's this, this communal, uh, corporate, unifying fellowship thing. And then he says, a given to hospitality, and that specifically has to do with strangers. And in this case, I think he's talking about stranger Christians, if I put it that way. <laughs> Meaning, if there's a brother and sister in Christ, it doesn't matter where they're from, and if you, or if you know them or what church they're a part of or anything else, you welcome them with the same hospitality and generosity that you would the person who's a part of your church that you see every single week you're in group with and you serve on a team with or whatever, right? So it is a, it is a willingness... What he's describing here is a willingness to use our whole life and everything we have for the benefit of the church and for the benefit, and I mean the big C church, the, the kingdom, the family of Christ. All right. He goes on, he says, and now it starts to get a little more hard, um, a little more difficult, a little more challenging, maybe. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, this, this flows directly against the current of our heart, doesn't it? I mean, it goes right against human nature. This is about how we speak about people. This is not just how we feel about them. This is how we speak about them. And when we're being persecuted by someone, when we're being attacked by someone, even in the moment, how do we speak about them? Do we bless them or do we curse them? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Uh, he's be of the same mind. That mind is not to mind your own honor. That our goal should not be our own honor and glory, but our goal should be the glory of Christ and the growth of the fellowship and the church and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he says, when one rejoices, you rejoice with them. When they weep, you weep with them. The word, um, when he says associate with the humble, this is another really cool word. And it's hard to get the sense of it in English. Um, but the word associate, the best kind of definition, and then we got to sort of apply this, but the, the best definition is to be, swept into the ex- to be swept into and experience the force of something. So imagine a river that's flowing, this powerful river that's flowing, and you jump into that river and you get swept away by the current. When he says associate with the humble, what he's talking about is getting down in, peop- in there with people where they are, in the reality of life, whether that's rejoicing or whether that's weeping. That, what we, that, our, that our mind begins to change from thinking about ourselves, and this is something we really have to work on as Christians in America because we live in a culture and a society that is very individualistic. That is what a lot of our American values are built on. But the values of Scripture are not that. Yes, you are, we are important to God. Yes, God has plans for us. Yes, he's going to empower us. Yes, he has all of these things for us. But his intent is for us to come into the force of the bigger thing, which is to be a part of something bigger. This bigger breathing, I'm envisioning, because he talks about the church as a body, you know, and everybody plays their part. And I can't help but just envision this thing where everybody's crawling on each other's shoulders, 
You ever seen this in like a cartoon? You know, where everybody's crawling on each other's shoulders and it creates this, this big, huge human that's made up of tiny little humans, you know, and it's kind of walking around. I don't know why. <laughs> it's a silly picture, but, you know, I don't know why I'm lumbering, you know, but, um, but to understand that we are a part of something much bigger, wider, broader than us, right? And that takes, for one thing, it takes responsibility off of our shoulders. We realize, hey, I don't have to be the hand because I'm the yeah, elbow or whatever. I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I can trust that he's doing what he needs to do over there. And so it gives us a lot of confidence in that, but it's understanding that it's not an individualistic thing anymore. That's not the mentality that we're supposed to have, that we're a group, that we're a body, that we're a family, that we're doing this thing together, that we're supporting each other, and we're moving these things forward, and that's our role. And so it's not just about me, and it never will. Uh, it's not about me. It's about, it's about us. Um, don't be wise in your own opinion. And if you're up, I'm up. And if you're down, I'm down. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I think we all know that it's not always possible to live peaceably with all men, right? But we are responsible for us. You, you can't control what somebody else does. You can't control how they behave or how they speak or what they do. But you can always control who you are. You can always control what your part is in the situation. And he says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't do it. And it's really hard to do. And, and, and if we wait to the moment, if we wait to the moment that the pressure is on, we're going we're gonna to cave. We're going to cave and we're going to fight back. And yes, there are times where there are people that we have to defend. Obviously, there are times where, you know, all of that. This requires spiritual discernment to know where and how exactly to do this in the moment. But it also requires preparation, I believe. The word um, where he says, have regard for good things, is again, a kind of an odd word. It's a weird word. It means to decide or prepare in advance. So that struck me hard this week when I was thinking about this. So if I get into a tense situation, into conflict, or somebody's attacking me, and that's happened over the years, it have probably happened to you too. You're in that situation, and your reaction is to fight back. If, you, if I wait till the moment, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to fight back. I have to pre-decide to choose peace. I have to decide before I walk in. that I that, Because more often than not, you know it's coming. More often than not, you know you're walking into the meeting, and your boss has asked you to sit down. All right, you know that you have conflict with that person and then they're coming over to the house. You know that that friend, you, your relationship has fallen out with that friend and you're gonna see him at school that day. And so we have to pre-decide, have regard for good, to pre-decide good and peace beforehand. And we need the Spirit's help in order to do that, to transform us. And so before we get to those conversations, we need to be praying and we need to say, be saying, Spirit, speak through me in this. Help me to walk through this. Help me not to respond with anger. Help me not to bite back, how to fight back. Just don't, don't let me do it in this, this, in this moment. We must pre-decide that when they attack us, we are not going to attack them back. We are not going to do it. And this tweaks our justice nerve. Right? It's like, no! Because... They, they, this is, this is the way justice works in our, in our heart, in the human heart. This is the way justice works. If they hurt me, I have every right to hurt them back. The same amount. 
or more, just as like interest, right? <laughs> like they deserve it. If they fight against me, I need to fight back because they need to, they need to see. They, like, they can't behave this way. They can't get away with it. There has to be a consequence. There has to be a consequence for them treating me this way. <laughs> or there has to be a consequence for them behaving this way right? That really tweaks. They have to pay, right? That is, that's at the middle of, of the justice that sits in our heart. But listen, as a believer in Jesus, as a, as, as a, as a truster of God, why do we think we are the ones to administer that justice? Who do we think we are to put ourselves in that seat? Can you and can I trust God to administer right justice? That's what this is about. It's, a, it's not about just getting, it's not about getting walked over or letting people get away with things. I look and I say, they need to pay. And here's the thing, they will. But the consequence of their actions isn't mine to dole out. Beloved, he says, do not avenge yourselves but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. The, the quote, vengeance is mine, I will repay, it's from Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 is a really interesting passage. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. What is he talking about? He must be talking about the other nations. He must be talking to the nation Israel about all these heathens out here and what they're doing and that God is going to get vengeance on them. Nope, that is not what it's about. Deuteronomy 32 is right before the Israelites go into the promised land. And Moses has finished writing down all of the law. And God says, speak to the people through me. Speak to the, or speak, yeah, how he prophesy, okay? Speak to the people on my behalf. And Moses is about to go up on the mountain and see the promised land, but he's not going to get to go in. This is one of the last things Moses says before he dies. And he gets up and God says, teach him a song. And so he gets up and he teaches him. It's not like any song I've ever heard, but he gets up there and he says, we're going to go in and I'm going to feed you and you're going to get fat on the land. And you're going to forget about me. And you're going to go your own way, and you're going to worship your own idols. And you know what? I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to deal with that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. It's not about, it's not about, it's about his people. It's about his people and their behavior, their actions, and their choices to walk away from him. And then he says, but I will provoke you to jealousy by a nation that is not a nation. We read this a couple weeks ago. He said, I'm going to welcome the Gentiles in, and then I will restore. All right, so there's hope at the end of this, but this is about his people. And so we don't need to worry about vengeance. We don't need to worry about wrath. Wrath is not ours to deal. It's not ours to dole out. It's God's. And so can we trust him with that? Can we trust him to do what he rightfully does? I promise you, whatever consequences God gives for someone's behavior, are far righter and better and more effective than whatever consequences I can give. And if I respond in anger and I respond with violence or, or, or whatever, conflict, 
all that does is mess me up. That's not going to change them. That doesn't help them. Uh, fighting, when two people get in a fight, it just goes on until you're exhausted, right? It, it does, all it does is beget more fighting, more conflict. But what, what Paul says here, what he prescribes is uh, from the book of Proverbs, at Proverbs 25. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. Now, what does that do in a situation? When somebody is attacking you, someone is coming against you, what do they, well, first of all, what do they expect out of you? They expect you to fight back. That's what they're, in fact, that's what they're usually looking for, right? Because it justifies their anger. So they come and they attack you, and they're looking for you to attack them back, and you won't do it. And instead of cursing them, you bless them. Or you do something for them. You care for them, and they love them. You love them. Whoa, that is disorienting. Have you ever been on the other side of that? I have, (laughs) unfortunately. Where I came at someone because I was upset, and they responded with love. They responded with grace. They responded with kindness. And all of a sudden, I felt like a pretty big idiot. I could see, I could see my sin, but only in contrast to the goodness that was in them. Now, if they had come back with, with anger, with fighting or whatever, I probably would have just kept walking in it. I probably would have amped it up and taken it to the next level. He says, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a new drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. I remember back in high school, someone came into our youth group and was teaching this passage. And because heap coals of fire, that, that sounds pretty rough. Um, if you have coals of fire <laughs> heaped on your head, sounds pretty rough. And so someone came into our youth group, and I think they were trying to soften it. So they were like, well, that's not really what it is. Like, in order to take fire from here to there, they would have to take coals, and they would carry them on their head. And so, you know, carry from here to there. And then, and then so you're really just helping them. It's really just about helping them. And, um, you know, I didn't know what to do with that at the time, other than now I feel like that just sounds like a nice thing to, that like pastors like to say, like this thing, it's probably not true. I think what is really being said here is when you are kind to someone, gracious to someone who is attacking you, it shows them the, the, the evil that is coming out of them. It, 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 the, the nasty side of heap coals on the head. And, and this is just, this is a little piece of, uh, uh, a side note, if I, if I can. It's not really pertinent, but it's an interesting side note. The word in Greek for hot coals is the word anthrax. I'm not kidding. And it's where it comes from, by the way. Because uh, anthrax is actually a disease that's caused by a bacteria. And the spore of that bacteria, they also call anthrax. But, um, and, of course, that can be weaponized. We, kind of, we know the deal. But when anthrax, when that bacteria comes in contact with your skin, it creates on your skin round black boils or sores that look like you've been burned with coals. So when people contracted this bacteria, which, of course, has a scientific name I can't pronounce, when they contracted this bacteria, it looked like they had bur- been burned with coals, and so they called that disease anthrax. That's why. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I just think that that's an interesting point to make. That that's what he's saying, all right? So if you want to take it this far, in so doing, you will give them anthrax. If you, just, if you, wanted, to, if you wanted to, literally, that is what he said, but it has a different meaning for us today, obviously, all right? But really what it does is it shows 
He says, and he finishes, he finishes with, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. What, what it does is it creates contrast. I love that word. I love to think about because I like graphic design and art. And it's the difference between light and dark. Contrast. And you can see things more clearly when there's contrast. And so if a person comes and they're angry and they're water, and, and it, again, this is probably in the context of the church and amongst believers. If somebody is attacking or somebody is persecuting or somebody is whatever, then you do not respond with the same thing that they are bringing. You show love and grace, provide contrast, and then they can see. And you let God deal with them because you don't have to. That's not your job anyway. And you predecide to do that. And there's a phrase that I personally use, and maybe you have some, there's lots of cliches like this. But when I'm going into a situation like that where I know that thing is coming or that conversation is coming or that conflict is coming or it exists already or whatever, the phrase that I use in my head, I, I, before I go in, I pray and I say, get above it. That's what I say to myself, get above it. You can think like, don't stoop to the level or rise above it or whatever. There's other kinds of phrases like that. For me, it's get above it. And, in, and there's this feeling that I have in my spirit where I'm like getting up to a different level, not in an arrogant way, but to say like this chaos and this fray that's happening, I'm going to be up here. I'm not going to let it get me. I'm not going to let it affect me. I am going to continue to be of the same character that I have always been, regardless of what is happening down here with this person. And that kind of contrast in a situation can be very powerful and transformative for the person who is uh, attacking in that situation. And, and listen, you just need to know this ahead of time if you haven't already learned this. Uh, sometimes that means you lose. At least by a worldly standard and by an outside standard, sometimes it looks like you lose. Sometimes it makes you look like a doormat to other people because they won the conversation because they got their way, because they got the job, because whatever. And so sometimes you lose. But consistent Christ-like character is more important than a worldly win. Every time. Being who God wants you to be is better than any sort of thing, any sort of win, any sort of victory, any sort of success, any sort of defeat, any sort of anything. So be consistent in character at all times. And I couldn't help but notice as we were going down through, actually, the first thing I noticed as I was looking through this list, I was like, oh, these are, these are the six core values that we have as a church. Like you could take, and I went through one by one, and you could take everything that's in this list and fit it within one of those core values, which is what we've decided. We've said those are the six things that we are going to be, and we want ultimately our church to be. Uh, there, there's three H's, two G's, and a C. That's how I remember. Um, but they are on it. We are honest. We are gracious. We are humble. We are generous. We are hungry, and we are committed. And so we took when we first started the church. We did. I uh, did a study of Jesus' character and boiled down to those kind of six essential or core things. And as I was seeing that this week, as I was studying, I realized exactly what Paul is doing. All of these things, these are Jesus. He is just describing who Jesus is. All of the things on the list, you can go to bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Jesus did that. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Associate with the humble. He did that even though everybody told him not to. Repay no one evil for evil. Don't avenge yourself. All of it. And again, if you're in group, you're going to talk through a bunch of those things and be thinking about ways that Jesus was these things because you're going, to, you're going to discuss that this week. Here's what Paul at the beginning of chapter 12 said. Here's what's happening with you. Here's what God wants to do. He wants to transform you through the renewing of your mind into the glorious image of Jesus. And that's a process, and we're on the path. And so if you want to know what your life could look, wants, should look like, look at Jesus' life, and here are the things he is. All consistent in prayer, enduring tribulation, and all of the things, full of joy, like everything listed in the list. Kindness, kind affection, brotherly affection for one another, clinging to what is good, abhorring, hating what is evil, being consistent and authentic and sincere in his love and not a hypocrite. This, all of these things are Jesus. And that's what he's doing. He's in the process of transforming. This is the new you. This is you. So as you and I are going through this, and we may see things in here where the arrow hit center mass or the arrow caught our arm or our leg or whatever, we go through these things and say, here's a place where I'm not yet like Jesus. And so, God, I want you to make me like him. And so this thing, whatever it is, whatever I'm struggling with, if it's, if it's vengeance, if it's anger, if it's inconsistency in prayer, if it's uh, being unkind or not being open enough about the love that I have for people, whatever it may be, if it's, if it's, if it's, if it's relaxing on evil in the name of love, that's not, whatever it is, wherever you hit me with an arrow, I want you to change me. I want you to transform me into the glorious image of Christ so that as I behold myself in a mirror, right, this is from 2 Corinthians 3 where he's talking about the unveiled face, we behold ourselves in the mirror and what we see shining back at us is the glory of Jesus. That's the reflection that we see and say, that's what I want to be. As I look forward to the day when that process in me will be complete. The day when I am with him forever. And I see his glory in full. And in the meantime, we are in the process of taking that on more and more and more. In the leadership, the power, and the direction and encouragement of the spirit. And so I've been asking myself all week, I want you to be asking yourself, Where on this list am I becoming like Jesus? And I can see that and thank him for that. And where on this list have I not given that over to him? And I need to. So let's go to him in prayer now and ask him to lead us to this, to show us how he wants to mold us and transform us and bring us into the image of Christ. Father, we come to you today so thankful for the good news that if we put our faith in you for salvation, if we believe that Jesus gave his life on the cross on our behalf and rose again on the third day, that if we put our trust in you, trust in Christ, we can be made right in front of you right now. We can be justified in your presence. And that in that moment, you give us life, eternal life, and you want us to walk in that life, just as Jesus had life as he walked out of the grave. You want us to walk in life. You want us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And you have graciously, kindly, generously given us your spirit. And so every day, we are learning to hear him, 
to walk with him in his power and in his leadership. God, fill us with your spirit and lead us and show us right now in our life where you have molded us into the image of Jesus. We look at this list of things at the end of Romans 12, and some of them we look at and say, wow, God, I've seen you do that. I've seen you do that in me. I've seen you transform me into that. And we are so thankful that you have done that in our lives, how you have molded us. But then, God, we also look at that list and we see things where we aren't yet in his image, where we are still conformed to the pattern of the world. And we want to be transformed in those things. And so I ask God right now for all of us as individuals, as we gather as a group, but as individuals right now, you show us if there's something here that you still need to do in us. You still need to transform. You still need to change. And what we want you to know, God, today is that we are open and willing. Show us and then change us. If it requires sacrifice, we will sacrifice it. Anything you need us to adjust, we will adjust. If we need to increase our level of faith and trust in you, build it. Because, God, we want to live as fully in your glory now as possible in the midst of a sinful world, surrounded by corruption, surrounded by greed and pride and all of that, we, we walk through it as believers and we want to shine your glory into the world. And in order to do that, we need to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And so we ask you to continue doing that in us. Knowing that the day is coming when that transformation will be complete. And we will behold your full glory. And we will see our Savior and look on him. And our prayer is that when that moment comes, we will look as much like him as we can already. And we will look on his face and we will recognize it. Because not only have we seen it in Scripture, but we've seen it in us. We've seen it in each other. That together, we together are being transformed into the glorious image of Jesus. As we serve each other and care for each other and encourage each other and challenge each other and love each other with sincerity all together looking forward to the day when all of that will be complete. Knowing that that day is coming soon. So God, we express our trust and love to you today and look forward. It's in your name we pray. Amen.